Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. It's really important for us this week that we walk through the story that we heard. Easter doesn't have much meaning if we don't reckon with death. Our Christian faith doesn't have much meaning if it doesn't enter into the most horrific places of our world. And certainly we've seen them again this week. It doesn't really matter which week it is. It seems like we saw the terrible bombing in Syria, the images which... Um, we'll never be able to get out of our head, nor should we. This morning, um, two Christian Coptic churches in Egypt were bombed during their Palm Sunday services. And that's why we do things like Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. It's not just because this is Christian ritual. It's because we need help entering the story. Jesus' final hours were a long, steady walk into the very furnace of hell. This week, as I was reading over this text again, I was struck with how lonely that walk was. With ever-increasing isolation. And yet how resolute Jesus was. A man compelled to what lay before him. A God-man fiercely committed to what must be done. How he entered the city to the adulation of the crowds, the waving of the palms, and how it was a genuine moment of worship and adoration. But if I'm Jesus, and Jesus at this point seems to know full well what is coming. There would have been a real isolation in the middle of that ruckus crowd. Are there many things more isolating than being misunderstood? Being in a place where others are feeling great joy or celebration, and yet you know something very, very different. Then Jesus with his disciples, his dearest friends, for that last supper, that moment we will, we will uh, convene around on Monday, Thursday, trying to prepare his friends for what was coming, but knowing that it was something they could never imagine. Trying to say goodbye to friends who simply can't comprehend. Even releasing a friend who you know will betray you. And then Jesus standing before Pilate the governor, the one who represented the empire, and having in that stark moment to answer for yourself, are you king of the Jews? All the while knowing that there's no way out of what's coming. The powers of the world have aligned themselves against you 
And you know full well that death is where this story leads. And then Jesus laid bare before the crowds. Pilate offering to release Jesus or release that criminal Barabbas and to have your own people clamor for the criminal. Not because there was any love for Barabbas, because there was such hatred for you. And then to stand before Pilate once more. The one who seemed actually inclined to help, if for no other reason other than the warning from his wife. To stand before the one who had the power to enact justice, to rescue you from the hordes. And then to watch Pilate ask for a basin of water and to wash his hands of you. It's a ritual that it seems has echoes of Deuteronomy 21. In the Mosaic law, whenever someone was killed outside a city and they didn't know who had killed this person, weren't able to find out, they would bring a heifer, a young heifer who'd never done any work, and they'd bring him out to wherever this murder had happened, and they would slay the heifer there, and the priests and the elders of the city would get a basin of water, and they'd wash their hands over that heifer, and they would say, we had nothing to do with this. Here Pilate is washing his hands, but we all know there's no washing your hands here. And the soldiers beating and mocking Jesus. Have we heard this story too many times to, to really feel the terror of what it would be like to be beaten and mocked? Hell, king of the Jews, hanging on that cross, the mocking jeers from all who pass by. If you're really the son of God, Get down from there. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they add their own mocking taunts. They join the crowd. If you're really the son of God, then get yourself down from that cross. He's crucified alongside two criminals. And even the criminals join in with the mocking crowds and priests. Even those bound to him in death abandoned him in the dark and lonely hour. Ever descending, more and more alone. And it's right to call it a dark hour because at noon the sky went dark. The sun was blotted out. The skies themselves bore the tragic sorrow as the Son of God descended into death alone. And then that final descent, that final isolation, the most bewildering and crushing darkness, the most horrific aloneness, aloneness, we hear Jesus' haunting words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Jürgen Moltmann calls this the frightening eclipse of God. As Christians, we profess that Jesus is fully human while also being fully God. And this is not just some abstract doctrinal point, something that we put in the column of unique Christian things that make us sort of different. This affirmation assures us that God truly became one of us and joined us in our suffering. Jesus is absolutely with us, even in our darkest places. Jesus Jesus was with those poor children in Syria this week. And this morning, Jesus was in the Coptic church as the bomb blew up. Jesus experienced utter aloneness and grappled with all the grim places of the soul. G.K. Chesterton says that it's only Jesus at this bleak hour that we find the one divinity who ever uttered their isolation and the only religion in which God seemed for an instant to be an atheist. So whenever you are in your most fearful place, whenever you believe that the evil done to you has finally buried you, Whenever you believe that you are alone, whenever the questions and the voices will not stop, whenever you believe that God has abandoned you, or maybe when you begin to believe that there isn't a God even there to abandon you, you are not alone. Jesus knows every single inch of this terrain. No matter how much many of us, and I'll put myself top of the list, want to try to make our faith to provide us some final airtight philosophical answer to the dilemma of evil, our faith doesn't do it. Our faith gives us Jesus taking in every violence, enduring every ounce of human suffering, God crying out in agony, yet resolute. There's a lot more to this prayer that Jesus prayed because it's the opening line to Psalm 22. And there's some belief that in the Jewish training that you would often pray an entire prayer by praying the first line. And Psalm 22, I'll leave it to you to read today if you'd like, pray that today because the rest of the story is where we go next Sunday. But I think it's important sometimes to sit and rest as painful and uncomfortable as it is in the middle of the isolation. 
Jesus endured all this evil for us. Jesus took on each suffering in order to reach us. Sometimes there's a terrible story told here. That God is an inflamed deity demanding revenge for our sin. And so Jesus steps up to receive God's unleashed fury so that vengeance is met and we are allowed to live. No. No. We're Trinitarian people. That means that Jesus is God, just like the Father is God. Jesus came with the Father's love. The cross and the resurrection is the Father and the Son's daring conspiracy. It's the Father and the Son's and the Holy Spirit's shared refusal to abandon us. So why? Why this way? Why did Jesus descend so resolutely into the great and awful dark? Why? I've pondered that a lot, and there's no uh, better reason I come up with than the very first verse I was taught in Sunday school. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And God loves the world today. God loves your world. God loves my world. God loves the world wide as it is, including every person and every place. And God loves the world as small as it is around you. God so loved the world. And it seems to me that there's a time for pondering all of the range of possibilities and the difficulties uh, of the meaning of the cross. And, but there's also a time to simply say, we don't know all the answer, but we know that it is love. And it is not a weak love. It is a strong and powerful and moving and blinding love. It's a kind of love, as we heard read in the gospel story this morning, that sometimes terrifies. It's a love that rescues. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.